One of the few positive aspects of this eternal lockdown is that I had the chance to learn new recipes and techniques. Usually, I'm too busy trying to respect deadlines, juggling cooking classes and assignments, so I just play it safe. Week after week, I cook those old reliable recipes that are a part of my cooking repertoire, the same soups or the trustworthy tuna sauce for pasta. I bake the same sourdough loaf, which sometimes has a perfect open crumb, while others is denser but flavorful. I cook seasonal vegetables with the same approach, a pan, a clove of garlic and a generous drizzle of olive oil. Comfort comes from repeating a ritual, a set of flavors. But where is the excitement of learning a new dish, of discovering a new technique? I miss those early years when the desire to eat new delicious food brought me into the kitchen to experiment, to learn from cookbooks, from mom and grandma, from experience and repetition. This feeling of excitement and adventure probably is not shared by everyone who is approaching cooking for the first time. If you have to learn to cook as an adult because your family was not very much into cooking or because you discovered this curiosity towards food just at a later stage, you might have the same question in mind. And now, how do I learn to cook? Being also a cooking class teacher, I'm often asked to share my tips on how one learns to cook. And this is the theme of today's episode where you will find also some tips from friends who are cooking class instructors and food writers. Before the new episode, I would love to thank you for the precious support. I'm really touched by your comments, humbled by your feedback, happy to know that this podcast brings some peace, inspiration, practical advice and lightheartedness in your daily life during such difficult times. If you want to stay updated and not to miss a single episode, Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to a podcast, and share cooking with an Italian accent with your friends. If you like this show and you're listening to this podcast on an Apple device, please consider rating and reviewing the show. How to do it is very simple and straightforward. Open the podcast app, click on our podcast, and scroll to the bottom of the podcast main page. There, you can rate and review the show. This will help us enormously to be more visible so that new people can discover us and share the same passion for Italian food. Last but not least, remember that you will find all the links to the recipes we mentioned today in the episode show notes. And don't forget to visit juleskitchen.com for new stories and recipes from Tuscany. And now, let's start! Ciao! My name is Giulia Scarpaleggia and I'm a Tuscan-born and bred country girl, a home cook, a food writer and a photographer. I teach Tuscan cooking classes in my house in the countryside and I've been sharing honest, reliable Italian recipes for 10 years now through my cookbooks and my blog, JulesKitchen.com. If you love everything about Italian food, big crowded tables and seasonal ingredients, join us and follow this podcast, Cooking with an Italian Accent. My name is Giulia Scarpaleggia and you are listening to Cooking with an Italian Accent, episode 36. Once I was a novice in the kitchen, just like everyone else. I didn't attend a proper culinary school. I inherited my grandma's passion for cooking and her curiosity towards new recipes. From my mom, her practical approach. So how did I learn to cook? 
how did I become a curious home cook? As this is what I am, a proud home cook who cooks for the joy of sharing and eating good food. My first piece of advice is start small. When you approach cooking for the first time, or a new cuisine which has a set of rules and ingredients that are completely different from your native cuisine, start from simple tasks and recipes. When you attempt baking for the first time, choose something simple and immediate as a pound cake, as my citrusy mascarpone pound cake, not a layer cake or something that requires hours of preparation and multiple steps. You'll get there eventually. Same can be said for cooking. A bowl of spaghetti cooked al dente with a perfectly executed garlicky tomato sauce is basic but extremely rewarding and a recipe that can help you gain confidence in the kitchen. Don't be scared by recipes that require a long cooking though, as they are often the most forgiving. It is so much easier to cook a beef stew, a spezzatino, or peposo, a pepper and wine beef stew from Florence, than for example, sitting to perfection a beef fillet. A properly made ragu, which will require hours of cooking, is more forgiving than a carbonara, where you need an exact comprehension of heat and timing as to stir the eggs with the pecorino and the pasta cooking water long enough to create a velvety cream that will hug your pasta, but not too long as to have scrambled eggs with your spaghetti. On this matter, listen also to what Enrica from A Small Kitchen in Genoa has to say. Hello everybody, I'm Enrica Monzani, I'm a food blogger at a small kitchen in Genoa.com, where I share traditional Italian Riviera recipes and I organize cooking classes for foreigners in my house in Genova. My advice for a beginner's cook is to start small. Start with uh, easy recipes uh, for everyday meals. For example, a good pasta sauce, uh, meatballs, uh, a good soup, Recipes easy with few ingredients and look for high quality ingredients. They are the what makes the difference and uh, it will make you proud of all your efforts. That is, uh, good luck and happy cooking. Bye. My second tip when it comes to cooking following a recipe is to read it from start to finish. Tackle it as you would do with an engineering project. Before building your house, you need the foundations. Understand which are the required ingredients. Do you have everything you need? Or can you make substitutions and adjustments? Understand the steps to reach the final dish and how long each of these steps will take. Ask yourself if you will have enough time. Is it a recipe that requires a long resting? just half an hour at room temperature as for the fresh pasta dough or an overnight proofing to make a focaccia. Don't skip these steps. Preheat your oven when required or at least wait until it reaches the required temperature. Be sure to understand the techniques required if the recipe mentions blanching, searing or deglazing. If a recipe is written professionally, there should be an explanation of these techniques. Otherwise, Google it or search a video on YouTube to understand what you have to do. As a consequence, before you start cooking, measure your ingredients. 
Have them ready into bowls or plates. Cut, peel, chop, slice or toast as required. A little prep work will make the cooking process smoother. Having a scale is handy, especially if you approach baking. There are online tools to easily convert grams to cups, tablespoons and teaspoons. I will link my favorite ones in the episode show notes, but they will never be as precise as using a scale, so consider doing this little investment. My friend Paola Bacchia from Italy on My Mind agrees on this point. Listen to what she has to say about it. Hello, I'm Paola. I have a website and social media channels called Italy on My Mind. I'm um, speaking to you from Melbourne today, where I run cooking classes in my home, and I also uh, I'm writing my third cookbook. So my most important uh, tip, my top tip for people who are beginning uh, their cooking journey, is to be prepared. Have all your ingredients out on the bench have them weighed and measured. I'm a big believer in using a scale rather than uh, a cup uh, before you start because uh, it's pretty difficult to improvise when when you're just starting to cook. Let's say if you run out of this type of sugar, you use a different type of sugar. They actually behave differently and um, you won't know how they behave unless you're experienced. So start it off uh, simply, uh, follow the recipe and have everything ready before you begin. Then probably the most important advice, practice, practice, practice. If you want to be a better writer, you have to write consistently every day. Sit at your desk, open your notebook or your computer, jot down words, read, edit, repeat every day. This is also the most important piece of advice given by Stephen King in his book on writing to aspiring writers. There are talented people who do not need exercise. The geniuses of music, art, cooking. I'm not one of them. I've always needed hours of practice, study, homework, trials and errors to get better at something, being it English at high school, writing, photography or cooking now. This is why I'm telling you practice, practice, practice. If you want to learn to cook or get better at something like sourdough baking, or if you want to know better a certain cuisine, say the Italian one, you have to be patient. Do your homework, practice. After all, it is fun. It means that you'll get to cook many new dishes, experiment with new flavor pairings, and deal with leftovers or mistakes. That's another way of learning. Think about Julia Child. In her first cookbook, French Cooking, she shares also tips to avoid mistakes when cooking or how to correct them when they happen, as in the case of making mayonnaise at home. So in your case, if you are a beginner cook or if you are approaching a new cuisine for the first time, cook something every day, even a small side dish or an omelette. Compose a salad, balancing the dressing, explore the use of a spice or of a seasonal vegetable. The importance of practice should not be an excuse when it comes to cooking, like, I do not cook as I do not have the skills. Here, let me quote two women I admire, Diana Henry and Nigella Lawson. Diana says, you don't need to chop like any kind of chef. My knife skills are shocking and I am slow. It doesn't matter, you just need to end up with small pieces 
engedem in Japan. While Nigella says, Sometimes people see me on television and say you have no knife skills. I feel it's very important to say that I know I have no knife skills. It hasn't stopped me from cooking. Speaking of being brave, listen to my friend Domenica Marchetti and what she has to say about making mistakes when cooking. Ciao Giulia, it's Domenica Marchetti or as we say here in the US, Domenica Marchetti. Um, Domenica Cooks on Instagram, and uh, I hope you're doing well. We, too, are in quarantine, so I think your topic is really timely as more and more people are finding themselves in the kitchen and cooking and trying recipes that they've never tried before. Um, so I've been writing about food for quite a long time now. I'm afraid to even count up the years. <laughs> My first cookbook came out in 2006, so it's been a while. Um, my advice to first-time cooks and novices would be, in general, um, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to fail in the kitchen because more often than not, these failures turn into successes down the road, and I want to give you an example of that from my own life. Um, a long time ago, back in 1994, uh, my husband and I and my parents went to one of my favorite restaurants called Plistia in the town of Pescaceroli in the National Park of Abruzzo, and um, I'm afraid that the restaurant is no longer open, but I had many wonderful meals there over the years. And But that was the first time I had been there. And one of the dishes we ate was uh, codette, spinach codette with sausage and peas. So codette, which means little tails, uh, was made out of spinach pasta dough and served um, in a sauce of sausage and peas and just a little dab of tomato. When the dish came out of the kitchen, my family and I first thought it was a plate of green beans because it was this bright pile of long green strands, but it turned out to be beautiful hand-rolled pasta shaped like little tails, hence codette, um, and we enjoyed them so much. The chef, Laura del Principe, came out and wrote down the recipe for me when I got home. I made the codette, and they were wonderful. I had it with my family, and uh, we all enjoyed it. Um, at the time, I was working full-time as a newspaper reporter, and I wasn't writing about food, so I didn't spend a lot of time making homemade pasta, and I didn't make the codette for a number of years. Uh, but some years later, my husband invited his boss to dinner, and I thought, oh, I'm going to make those wonderful codette to serve to the boss. Um, but wanting to be smart, I thought, I'm going to get a head start. I'm going to make the pasta the day before, and then I'll just have to cook it. So I made the codette. I rolled them all out by hand. They were beautiful strands of emerald green pasta, and I let them sit out on a clean towel to dry overnight. Well, if you're experienced in making pasta, you might know the end to this story, which is that the codette dried out, and no matter how long I tried to boil them in the water, they just would not cook. They were like cement, glue. They were terrible. Um, 
My husband's boss was very gracious, and I think I served a key lime pie for dessert that saved the day. Um, but that huge failure taught me a big lesson, which was that some pasta shouldn't be dried. And that is where I came up with my technique for freezing fresh pasta. Some years after that, when I was writing my book, The Glorious Pasta of Italy, I was able to include the recipe for codette and many other wonderful hand-rolled pasta shapes that you can't dry, but you can make ahead of time and put in the freezer. Pasta freezes beautifully, and it goes right from the freezer to the boiling water. So whenever I want to have somebody over, I make the pasta ahead of time, and I freeze it, and then it's just a matter of cooking it in boiling water, whether it's, whether it's ravioli or codette or maccheroni alla chitarra, whatever shape. So as I said, these mistakes can really turn into successes. No matter how much you read recipes or watch videos or listen to people talk about food and cooking, the best way to learn is just to roll up your sleeves and do it and not to be afraid and just enjoy the process. Thank you so much for um, inviting me to participate in this. I really enjoyed it. And I'm sending you love from outside of Washington, D.C., and I hope to see you back in beautiful Italia soon. Ciao. Now, another tip. Get in contact with your senses. Cooking is a sensorial activity and a mindful practice, so use all your senses. Taste learn to understand what you prefer and what you do not like, balance the salt, the acid, the crunchiness in your dishes, pay attention to textures. Don't forget to smell, not only to avoid burning your food. After a while, you will detect if a dish is missing salt just by the smell of it. I like to knead bread by hand, as to feel the texture of the dough, to toss the salad by hand, as this distributes the seasoning more evenly. When you make meatballs, there's a huge difference if you mix the ingredients with a fork or with your hands. Try and you'll get soft, moist meatballs as a result. Another tip is build your cooking repertoire. Once I discovered the concept of having a cooking repertoire, I fell in love with the idea. How do you learn to cook? How do you approach a new cuisine? Usually, there is a number of basic ingredients that keep coming back in the recipes you're going to make. Have them at hand, know how to use them, when and in which proportions. Learn to combine them and you'll handle brilliantly this new cuisine. My cooking repertoire is made of recipes chosen not to impress, but to nurture. Recipes that can express my true identity as a home chef. I'm gradually adding recipes to my cooking repertoire, testing and sharing them on the blog, building a collection of recipes that can tell a lot about who I am, about my sensibility, my preferences and the place where I live. And now I'm going to read you two paragraphs from Cooking for Mr. Latte by Amanda Hesser, where I first found the idea of a cooking repertoire. The first one. When you make a dish again and again, Altering it to your liking, it becomes an expression of your aesthetic, of your palate, of who you are. And when you serve the dish to guests, they come to understand you a little better. Elizabeth told me that she thinks of a cooking repertoire as a way to stay connected to all who are important in her life, 
She uses recipes from friends and family as well as her own. Without a handful of recipes to start you off, cooking seems overwhelming. And also, if you learn six or eight dishes, things you will want to eat week after week, cooking won't seem such a labor and other cuisines will no longer feel so out of reach. You don't need to learn everything. A few timeless dishes that you love is enough. So now you understand why for me a cooking repertoire is so important, especially when you have to learn to cook. Helping you to build a cooking repertoire is probably the main reason why we launch a virtual Tuscan cooking course on Udemy, which is an online learning platform. With this course, you will join me in my kitchen, attending step-by-step cooking demonstrations to show you exactly how to prepare each recipe. We're going to use simple, affordable ingredients. Stock up your pantry and be ready to start cooking like an Italian and Tuscan home cook. You enroll once and you'll have a lifetime access to the course, where we will upload new videos every other week. In the next days, for example, we will add video recipes with pantry ingredients and a lesson on short crust. Anyway, I'll leave you the link in the episode show notes should you be interested in joining us. And now, a last word on ingredients. When learning to cook, you will realize that a good ingredient makes a dish. So buy the best ingredients you can afford. Don't compromise on quality. You'll notice it with extra virgin olive oil. When you prepare the simplest tomato sauce with garlic and olive oil, if those three ingredients are excellent, the result will be outstanding. The same can be said for butter in a shortcrust pastry or in a pie dough. You taste the good butter. The best ingredients are also seasonal, as this is when they are not only at their peak of flavor, but also more affordable. It is a win-win situation. On this matter, Listen to what my friend Juliana Lopez Mai, a chef and cocinera from Argentina, has to say. My name is Juliana Lopez Mai. I'm a cuoca, I'm a chef, I'm cocinera in Spanish, and I learned to cook in my house. My mother is a great cook, and my father used to cook asados a lot, so I will say that in, in my house is the first moment that I involved in the kitchen. Then as a chef, as a professional, I started to cook at 19 years old. And the biggest school was when I work with Francis Melman, a very renowned chef here in Argentina. Um, I cook with him for more than seven years and it was the best way to learn all the the magical moment of cooking so the two of those places are my beginnings my work today is giving cooking classes i teach many many things always with the most important ingredient is take care of others cooking honest, simple, family-style food, taking conscience in the moment of the year, the vegetables, the fruits, things in season, and being more open, relaxed, and enjoying getting all my hands dirty involved. I really like Italian food a lot, but uh, 
I also make a mix between market products, moment, cooking in season and simple food. So I really enjoy that and I'm always teaching that, that you have to be involved in the way, in the weather, in, in the season. And now we can listen to Judy, the woman who helped me create our cooking classes years ago. She's a great cooking instructor, so listen to what she has to say. Hi, this is Judy Witz of Divina Cucina, and I'd like to share some of my tips for new cooks. When you're just starting to cook, I think there's a couple of things you really need to do before you even like read recipes. You need to learn something about the techniques used. Um, a couple of important things would be to learn some knife skills. So when they tell you a certain way to cut something, that's important to know the different terminology of the things you're expected to do. Also with the techniques, the baking, braising, roasting, frying, all those little words that can uh, make a recipe special. You have to understand that. So technique is important. Second thing is your mise en place, which is when you read a recipe, you get all your ingredients out, put them on the table, and as you're cooking and use them, you put them away. That way you'll be sure that nothing is left out of your recipes. If you skip something, sometimes you could actually ruin your recipe, like in baking and you forget to put in your baking powder or something like that. Another time, I remember students grabbed sugar instead of salt for a recipe, or just the opposite could be even worse. A third thing is uh, when you begin to understand the science of cooking and the effect of heat and the different ingredients have, why you find, get mistakes, then you can analyze the recipe why it's not working. And the other thing I would really um, say <clears throat> is don't get discouraged that to me the third time's a charm. So the first time you make a recipe, you'll see if it came out or not how you liked it. The second time you can tweak it, and then the third time to me it becomes your recipe. So enjoy cooking, keep trying, and get your knife skills down. So before calling this an episode, I would love to mention two books that for me have been important in learning how to cook or in refining my skills. The first one is Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat by Samin Nosrat. There's a whole episode, the 30th, dedicated to this book, because I think this is the perfect manual for those who want to learn to cook. Samin's idea is that we can cook consistently well if we learn to master these four cornerstones salt, fat, acid, and heat. You understand why certain things happen in the kitchen, which is the role of the four basic elements and how they interact to create a great dish. The recipes are also brilliant, perfect explanation of the theory chapters. The second book is The Flavor Thesaurus by Nikki Segnit. This is not a cookbook, but a book to examine what goes with what, pair by pair. If you want to improvise, this is a book to follow to have some inspiration. You'll discover that coffee and goat cheese are great together as lamb and rosemary, or apple and blackberry. Actually, thanks to this book, I made my apple and blackberry jam convinced by this paragraph. Like Simon and Garfunkel, perfectly respectable solo careers cancel out Central Park together. 
Simon is the apple, by the way, the dominant partner. Blackberry does the high notes. Blackberries have a spicy character, although not a specific spice. And now I would love to end this episode with a small reflection. I feel our responsibility as a food writer and recipe developer when we talk about how we learn to cook, using recipes found online or on cookbooks as a starting point. Because this is when I become the source of your inspiration, when I ask you to invest your time and money buying the ingredients to make a recipe. And I know from my experience that there is nothing more disappointing than a recipe that doesn't work. I noticed that it takes me so much longer to share a new post on the blog now than in the past. In the first few years of blogging, I would try a recipe and if I liked it, I would share it, adjusting it on the go while I was writing it. Mind you, I was sharing very simple recipes, so they were also forgiving. Now it takes me days to go from the idea of a recipe to the actual post, with hours spent testing the recipes, the ingredients, taking the photos, writing the introduction. There's a ruler in my kitchen to measure the size of molds and trays, a timer to check how long it takes to sear, roast or stew, and a scale, always. These are instruments of my job as a notebook or my camera. With a book, things get even more complicated and satisfying. If I can correct a recipe on the blog for a mistake I have made in a few seconds, when there's a feedback about the ingredients or the timing, it is different with a book. Often, more than a year passes from when the recipe is written and when it is printed and shared. If there's a mistake, it stays there in the book unless there is a second edition where you can correct it. And it stinks every time you open that book. This is the end of today's episode of our podcast, Cooking with an Italian Accent. I hope you enjoyed it and that you found something inspiring, whether you are a novice in the kitchen or a passionate home cook. And I would be curious to know how did you learn to cook? Do you have tips to share? Share your experience with us via email or on Instagram using the hashtag cooking with an Italian accent and tagging Jules Kitchen. If you have questions about Italian Tuscan cooking, just email me at jules at juleskitchen.com or join our Facebook group, Cooking with Jules Kitchen. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to a podcast and share it with your friends too. You will find all the links to the recipes we mentioned today in this episode's show notes. Don't forget to visit juleskitchen.com for new stories and recipes from Tuscany. Ciao!